Well, today's passage gives me the valid reason to show you this gem of a video clip from the Archer uh, Family Archives. So I'll bring this up and I'll describe what's going on here. Uh, so Iron Man here, you cannot tell, this is my son Joel. He is about, I think, two going on three at this point. This is going to be a quick clip, so you're going to have to watch it. So uh, give him time here so the AV booth can make sure the sound is up. And uh, you'll have to watch uh, what kind of comes from the background here. Remember, uh, brothers, and they love to, you know, wear their superhero stuff. And let's see what, what happens here. There you go. Who are you? Iron Man. Ah, yes. <laughs> I think I've watched it like a hundred times. If you, if you watch it over, you see it in slow motion. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to show you it again. Because just watch, watch his helmet. His helmet hangs there in midair like a cartoon. He gets pushed out of the helmet by his brother Luke uh, <laughs> in brotherly love. Who are you? Notice you don't see a lot of remorse on Luke's face after this. Uh, the, the video does go on, and yeah, there is not a lot of remorse happening here. Uh, brothers, huh? Sometimes it does seem like they do want to uh, kill each other. And in today's passage, that's what happens. So we are in the uh, famous passage in Genesis chapter 4 with uh, Cain and Abel, the first two brothers. And we are going to see what happens here. We, in Genesis, we saw things started out great. God creates this world. He declares it very good. Uh, but then what happens is the fall. Adam and Eve, they fall into sin, and the curses and consequences go out upon the world. Death comes into humanity. And actually here we see the first human death that's going to happen. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, but things, as we go in Genesis, are going to go from, from bad to worse. We thought, well, Genesis 3, oh, the sin of the fall, whoo, we can get beyond that. It's, things will start looking up here. Uh, and we're going to see just things descend worse and worse uh, as we go. So we're going to see in this account of Cain and Abel, two brothers with two sacrifices that they bring before the Lord and two different relationships that they have with the Lord, two different relationships with, with God and what is going on in their hearts and their lives. So what we'll do is we will read this in sections as we walk through it together. We're going to be doing uh, Genesis 4, 1 through 16 today. But in the first, basically, five verses, we'll look at this, and we're going to see that Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. His offering, his sacrifice, uh, is viewed by God as, as being more acceptable. Okay, so let's read together. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flocks and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry, and his face fell. 
Let's stop here and look at what's going on. First of all, we see two brothers that are in this. We see uh, Cain and Abel. The passage starts by saying, Adam knew his wife. Well, of course, he knew her. Uh, they had met. Uh, but th this doesn't mean just that he knew her. He knew her. This is, <laughs> yes, knew, knew her in a way that produces a baby that comes along. Uh, so, yeah, this is a, a reference to Adam and Eve uh, being fruitful and multiplying like God told them to do and doing what needs to be done for that to happen. And I'm not going to go into detail, and uh, you can explain all that to your kids and how this works, and it's important that you do. Because we do see here that this is what God had told them to do, be fruitful, multiply. He told them to do this before sin entered into the world, so this is a good thing. And so the uh, sexual relations that they had in order to do this, these are a good thing. And the way that this happened, this is what God intended. This was Adam and Eve, this was a husband and a wife that were married to each other, engaging in this, and this was a good, good thing uh, that they were doing. So again, we see a husband and a wife, and that's what these type of uh, relationships are intended for. Outside of that, it's misplaced, and it is sin, but in it, it is a very good thing. I'll point this out briefly, too. We're about to head into June, and with all the messages that you're going to be seeing on the, the news, you're going to be seeing from different corporations you know, bending over backwards to display as many uh, rainbows as they possibly can. Uh, we're going to see later on in Genesis when we get to uh, Noah and the ark that the rainbow actually means something far different than what it is going to mean for most of society throughout the month of June. But it is a good time to point out that Adam and Eve here, they know each other in this way as husband and wife. They produce a child and then another child. And every single one of you, every single one of us here, and every single baby on this planet and that has existed comes from this exact type of union, from the biological union of one biological man and one biological woman coming together. And this is the only combination that produces new life. And so there is something very special about this design. This is not an arbitrary thing uh, to focus on a man and a woman coming together, ideally, in that committed relationship as husband and wife. This is where life comes from. This is where society comes from. This is where uh, everyone comes from this, every baby. And so we need to focus on this. I wonder, too, uh, did God prepare them for this? You know, did he give them his, you know, version of, uh, you know, what to expect when you're expecting? Uh, did he give them a class to explain how to do this, or did they just figure it out? We, we don't know. Uh, I guess it would have been kind of a surprise, you know, to Eve. Uh, I mean, they'd never seen a... a baby before. Maybe, you know, eventually they'd seen, you know, animals, but, you know, just all of a sudden, what, what's happening to me? Uh, we just don't know how that works if God had uh, prepared them uh, what was going on. But I, I think, you know, they may have seen uh, things that would have happened uh, with animals, so they probably had a good idea kind of what was coming along. And I have to think God gave them uh, some uh, instructions about how this would work. And here's a question. I've heard people ask this. How long do you think it was uh, that Adam and Eve existed in the Garden of Eden before the fall happened? Before, you know, they fell into sin? And uh, something to take into account is that they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply before sin came into this world. 
And so if they were going to be obedient to that command, um, well, if they, were, if, if they were disobedient to that command, that would have been sin as well. And also, uh, before the fall came into this world, there wouldn't have been the different dysfunctions that come into this world because of uh, just the consequences of sin in all of our lives and just the world you know, we live in, world where things are broken. Uh, so we have to assume uh, that uh, there wouldn't have been an infertility issue with Eve. And so some have uh, speculated, and I think there's probably something to this, uh, that they would have obeyed God quickly and that Eve would have bore a child quickly. That's assuming that the bio her biology would have functioned the same as it does now, um, which we always have to remember there, there could be something that is different. Uh, we're going to see as well people lived quite a bit longer. Their lifespans were extended early on. Uh, so maybe we can't assume everything. And I think another little thing to consider is there could be the possibility that God in his providence you know, would have given them extra time to kind of settle in and prepare. We don't know. But I think it's probably likely that you know, this, the fall did happen rather quickly. Uh, at least that's the impression I get. We, we don't know that for sure. Um, but if things were happening normal with Eve, um, the fact that she doesn't have a child until after uh, the fall happens, uh, I think tends to make us think that the fall probably happened uh, within that first month. So just a question because I know people sometimes wonder that. So they have um, their first child. They have uh, Cain and they have a second child. Well, when she has a child, Eve says, I, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She recognizes this child is not just from her. This is God working in and through her. And yeah, she <laughs> produced this child with her body, but it was also God uh, working through her to cause this happen. And so it's important for us to realize that our children are not just our doing. Uh, they are from the Lord. They ultimately belong to the Lord and are here from him and, and exist for his glory. And you're going to view and raise your kids differently if you view that they are just here for you and your glory or if they exist for the glory of God ultimately. And you give them thanks and you, you dedicate them in your heart and your life back to, to him and for his glory. Children are a gift from God. So Cain and Abel, two brothers, we also see two professions here that says that Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the, the ground. Uh, we don't have a clear indication of people um, being allowed to uh, eat meat until later on, uh, unless they were being disobedient. Uh, but keeping sheep, you would still get wool. There would still be different reasons to, to keep them. And Cain, was a, he was a farmer. You know, so he's raising crops, he's raising fruits and vegetables, all these different things, and these are both noble professions. I think we should not read anything into this that uh, one had a, a better profession than the other. These are both, they're both living out, I think, their callings and the, the mandate that God gave to humanity to do, to um, work the ground, to cultivate that. Work is a good thing. Uh, work itself is not a part of a curse. The, the frustration is, but not the work itself. And they were to have dominion over the, the, the animals. And so uh, we see them doing both of these things with these two professions. So two brothers, two professions. We also see two sacrifices that they, that they made. So we see this in verse 3. It says, in the course of time. Now, when it says that, I think 
this might not have been the very first sacrifice that they had made. In fact, I think there are many sacrifices before this. Actually, I think this is something, you know, uh, they've had a chance to, to grow up. And I'll come back to this at the end of this sermon, but I'm going to give you reasons to think that this might be something that happened, uh, you know, decades and decades, uh, kind of after creation and when they were older, actually. And I think there's reason for that. So when it says in the course of time, it's just talking about here's a story of something that eventually happened here, uh, maybe after a long time and after other sacrifices that happened. So Cain... It says he offers um, a type of uh, sacrifice. He brought before the Lord um, in his act of, uh, this is meant to be an act of worship, of thanksgiving uh, at at the least. And it says, of the fruit of the ground. Okay, it doesn't mean it has to be just fruit fruit, but what is produced by the ground. So it could be fruit, could be vegetables, could be crops, that type of thing. And remember, he he was a farmer. So he's bringing a portion of what he has. Then it also says that uh, Abel brought uh, sacrifice as well. And for Abel, it says it was the firstborn of the flock. And it says, and the fat portions. Now, later on in their sacrifices where there were specific things about like the the fat of the animal, um, I think based on what they use the animals for at this point, I think it probably means it was the, like the fat animals. Like he was bringing, you know, the firstborn of the animals. He was bringing like the, he wasn't bringing the scrawny ones. Saying, well, I'm going to bring a sacrifice, but you know what? I'm going to bring the, the, the scrawny, uh, the ones I can, I can, it's okay for me to be rid of, you know, uh, this sheep. Because this guy ain't making it anyways. So I'm kind of, we'll, we'll give this guy to the Lord. No, he's, he's bringing his best to the Lord. He, as he is doing this with a heart, you can tell, of worship. That this is not for Abel, just a bunch of a duty that, well, I have to do this. And so I'm going to bring to the Lord, but I'll give him just uh, barely what I can do to just qualify so I, I don't feel guilty. Uh, but no, he's, he's bringing him the, the first fruits, he's, or the first of the flock. He's bringing them the, the best parts of this as his offering that he's giving to the Lord to show his worship, to show his, his thankfulness. Here's the thing. I think nothing is necessarily wrong with Cain bringing produce to the ground instead of an animal. There's a sense it was his job. And so he would be, you know, like we, you know, to give our tithes and offerings out of what, uh, you know, we have. Uh, the Mosaic laws about sacrifices weren't given yet. And even when they are, they did include some plant offerings. Deuteronomy 26.2 is a place that talks about this. Uh, But one thing that we do see is that verse 4 stresses that Abel brought the best quality that he could. And it doesn't say that for Cain. Instead, it it seems to stress that Abel went out of his way to please the Lord, whereas Cain was just kind of discharging the the bare duty of what he could do. So before we move on, I think an application for us to think about is, you know, do you give to the Lord? Do you... What do you bring to the Lord as your act of worship to him? I mean, God has been good to every one of us. God takes care of your needs. God, through the life and the work that he gives you in different ways that he provides, you know, puts food on your table and gives you a a roof over your head, gives us our basic needs. 
And I think we're called to, out of worship to him, out of thanks to him, to, to give back to the Lord. And so there's something for you to think about, is that do you give to the Lord? And also, you know, what do you give to the Lord? Do you offer to God your, your best? Do you offer to God the, the first parts of your flock, so to speak? Or do you give God, if you do, and there's some Christians that they don't give anything to the Lord, uh, both their time, talent, and, and treasure. And that's not a mark of spiritual health if that's the case. Um, and I'm not here to make you feel guilty if you didn't uh, you know, tithe this morning, but it is something to realize is that it is a mark of spiritual maturity and of spiritual health to be giving to the Lord. And therefore, even if we had some wealthy benefactor you know, that was able to write a check and cover all of the church's expenses you know, every single month, um, it would still not be good to say, well, you, the rest of us were off the hook because we have this wealthy benefactor. Because it's not ultimately just so that we can, you know, keep the lights on and pay the bills and, and send stuff out to the missionaries. That stuff is important. But also, it's an act of worship that we do. It's an act of our, our dedication and our thankfulness to God. Recognize that He has blessed us in so many ways, so richly, and we want to give Him a, a portion of that. But then to think through, what is it that you're giving? Is it just, is it the scraps? Is it the leftovers? Is it just the, the bare minimum that you can do so that you don't feel guilty? Or are you giving God of your best? And for some financially, that's going to mean that, uh, that you set aside money first to give to the Lord, rather than saying, well, if anything's left at the end of the, the month, I'll, I'll give that to him. And, oh, guess what? Things aren't left because I spent it on this and this and this and this. But putting that aside in your, in your heart and your life um, and in your giving first. So I think that's important. And I think we can also think about this too just with our other resources that we have, with our time, with our energy. You know, does God just get the leftovers? You know, does he get you when you're at your, your worst and you care about other things more and that's where your main energy goes and if you got any extra, extra time, if you can squeeze God in a little bit, you know, then you'll worship him and, and live for him. So, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty, but if, for all of us, I know there's ways that we can grow in it. And so if God is uh, prompting you in your heart, maybe that's something to be thinking about, how to grow in this area. So giving to the Lord, we learn uh, that from this passage. We've seen two brothers, two professions, two sacrifices. And we also see here there's two different responses from God to these different offerings. And it says for Cain and his offering, the Lord had regard. And that means that he appreciated it. He's like, this is good. I like it. Thank you. And to Cain and his offering, it says no regard. So to paraphrase that, it was meh. I don't think God actually said that, but he, he didn't think highly of it. The big question is what really is the difference between the two? Did Abel just get lucky in picking the right gift? I mean, sometimes we try to pick a gift for our, our spouse or something, and we're guessing is this something that she's going to like, and sometimes we, get, uh, we do a good job, and yes, this is something good, and sometimes it isn't. Uh, did you know, Cain and Abel, were they on their own, and they just uh, had to pick out something, and it turns out God just, he likes animals, and he doesn't like, you know, vegetables. I get that. Uh, but is that really what it's saying here, that God doesn't like the produce of the ground? 
you know, whether it's fruits, whether it's vegetables, whether it's grain, God's like, ah, I didn't want that. I was looking for something different. Like a kid getting, you know, opening a present at Christmas and it's socks. Ah. Or is it because God thought, I already got a bunch of those. I already already have plants and fruits. Well, if you think about it, God already has all of this, doesn't he? I mean, ultimately, it all belongs to him. You know, every animal is created, ultimately belongs to him. Every uh, uh, sheaf of grain that's out there, every uh, tree, every fruit, every vegetable, it all belongs to him. And we have to think, too, God, it's not like he actually needs to eat it, right? Uh, That's just kind of hopefully an obvious thing, but it's something we need to take into account. So it's like, why did God really want one or the other? It's not because he was going to use it and eat it, and he's like, I I don't like to eat this, or that he needed it so badly. So if that's the case, and I think it has to be, then it has to be something that's more about uh, Abel and Cain themselves, something that's going on in their hearts, with this. Now, another thing to consider was Cain's offering not acceptable? Was it because it was not an animal offering? And this is a, a common interpretation, and it might be right, that it was supposed to be a blood offering, an animal offering, because this is something that would point ahead to the ultimate sacrifice. That in the same way as when God covered Adam and Eve in their sinful shame after they sinned and an animal had to be uh, killed in order to get the garments of skin, that just as that pointed ahead to the ultimate sacrifice that would come, the ultimate shedding of blood, that Cain and Abel were responsible to know that their sacrifice should have also pointed ahead in that way. I mean, later on in... Uh, the books of Moses, it would be, they would be told to give certain sacrifices. We know those do point ahead to the ultimate lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So that might be right. The thing is, we don't know for sure what God communicated to them and what God informed them about, or at least that they were supposed to figure out on their own. It isn't mentioned in here, the text doesn't specifically focus on the blood, but if God had given them those instructions, then it it would be true, but the passage doesn't specifically tell us that, Uh, but it might be the case. But the one thing I do know for sure, and I can tell you this for sure, because I happen to have the best commentary on scripture. I know there's a lot of biblical commentaries that are out there, and people write these books and interpret scripture. I have the best one. I just want you to know that. If you think you have the best one, uh, well, I have the best one. And maybe you do too. How many people, do you have a Bible with you? Hold up your Bible if you got one here. Well, guess what? Good news. Oh, that's a lot of, oh, this makes my heart really warm. (laughs) If you have a Bible with you, you happen to have the best commentary on Scripture. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. And so when Scripture itself explains what's going on, then you can know this isn't just man's interpretation. This is what God says about this. So if you have that, that you just opened up, you can keep one thumb in uh, Genesis and turn the other to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, and you, ah, the sound of pages of Bibles turning. I just want to take it in. It's beautiful. Okay. 
Hebrews 11, verse 4, says, By faith, this is in the hall of faith. Okay, God, uh, in, uh, through Hebrews, talking about all these faithful people throughout the Old Testament, starting with Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. That even though Abel dies, again, spoiler alert, uh, well, you didn't think he was still alive, did you? Uh, but he still has a message for us. And this specifically tells us that the most important difference between their sacrifices, and there might have been other things too, it was not merely because he brought his best, and it wasn't, according to Hebrews, specifically because it was an animal, although that might be the case. But what it says in Hebrews is that faith was the difference. The most different important sacrifice between their sacrifices that Abel's sacrifice was offered out of faith. It doesn't say that for Cain, and we look at this, we realize that Cain was not offering his out of faith. Faith is what makes the difference. Faith is how we're saved. God offers you the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, and the only way, according to Scripture, that you receive that is by trusting him by receiving him, depending on him. That's what faith is. Faith is, is relying upon God, having a heart that turns to him, that trusts in him. And without faith, you're not going to please God. It doesn't matter how much you do. It doesn't how, matter how much you put in the uh, offering box in the back or you go online and you do online giving. Uh, without faith, without your heart trusting in Jesus Christ personally for you as your Savior, it doesn't do you any good. We receive the Lord and everything he's done for us through faith. And this heart attitude, this reliance is the ultimate thing. Do you have personal faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord, as your Savior? It can't be someone else's. It has to be your personal faith. And I hope that you will transfer your trust, your faith to Jesus Christ if you have not done that already. Your heart is what ultimately matters to the Lord. Now what you can give, those are, can be important. God uses those things uh, but he could work around it if he needed to. But he cares about your heart. He cares about what is going on. And if you have a heart that has placed faith in him, part of that response of worship is you are going to be giving. You are going to be wanting to offer him uh, part of what he has given to you because you recognize how much he has taken care of you every day with practical needs, how much grace he has given you. You're going to recognize he gave this, his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, to die on the cross for you. And if he is willing to make that sacrifice for you first, to give you that, then for us to give a portion of what he has given to us back to him so that he can be glorified, that, that can be put to work for God, that is something that can please God. But it come, has to come from a heart that is of faith. We don't give in order to earn God's grace. That's really important for you to realize, for us to realize Giving is a response of faith for what he has freely given us. So, we saw this, we saw two different responses, and as we go on, we're going to see that uh, the Lord didn't have favor for, for Cain, and Cain responds in anger to this. So we look in this next section, 
And we see here that uh, burning with anger, Cain was at a crossroads. And either he would rule his sin or he would be ruled by his sin. So let's uh, read 5 through 7 here. So starting again with, uh, with verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So we see here, Cain was... Cain was upset. The word for angry here in Hebrew means he, he was burning with anger. He was, he was livid. So Abel had responded in faith. Cain here responds to the Lord in anger. Two very different responses that we see. And think, what ultimately is going on in his heart? I think part of it we have to realize is some kind of jealousy, some kind of envy. And an application we can get from this is that jealousy is poisonous. We need to watch that. Each of us need to. That if you see envy, you see jealousy starting to take root in your heart at all, and usually it's there somewhere, you've got to weed that out. If you're weeding your garden you know, this weekend or this summer, uh, be doing even more weeding in the, the, what is the sins that are growing in your heart, and especially those sins of envy, of jealousy, because they will take root and they will poison you. They will turn your heart bitter. They will lead to anger. They will lead to, in here, violence. All kinds of different terrible things. Cain was jealous that God favored Abel rather than him and his offering. And that's a big part of what's going on here. And so he is mad at him. Jealousy destroys relationships. It destroys relationships with people. It destroys relationships with the Lord. And so it is a poisonous thing. We have to be watching out for that. And all it leads to. I think another thing that we can get from this section is to realize that God knows the struggles that are in your heart. Because notice God could tell what was going on with Cain. And yeah, it was pretty obvious. I mean, his, his, his face was fallen, so he was showing it. You know, but even if Cain, I think, had the best poker face, and you know, some of us are better than others, some people are better than others in you know, masking their emotions and seeming all happy and good, but really there's still bitter stuff going on inside. God knows your heart. And no matter how you mask it with your face or you show it, God knows what's going on in your heart. So it's not a matter of just trying to, to you know, filter it better, to mask it, to let people think everything's good in your heart. God knows, so be honest with him. And do that work with God when there's stuff that's not right in your heart, to, to confess, to repent, to ask for his grace and help, you know, for those things to be changed. We see here God wants Cain to do the right thing. He's pulling for him. He's imploring him to do the right thing. He's saying that he has a, a choice to make. He's at this crossroads. And God is saying, don't choose sin. Don't choose what I see your heart going towards. God knew the road that he was, he was headed for, that he was headed down, and God's saying, turn the other direction. In your life, God knows what's going on. He knows your struggles. You can go to him. He is, he is pulling for you. He wants you to make the right choice. You're responsible for the choice that you make. 
and with his help, make the right thing. Don't hide from God. Go to him for help. Sometimes in life, we don't run right towards the worst sin. We start on the, uh, the path. We start veering towards that, you know, that off-ramp that leads us down that direction. And God's trying to help Cain to catch this before it leads to what it would inevitably lead to. Don't wait until you have, you've made the horrible mistake. Don't wait until you've gotten into terrible bondage. As soon as you can, course correct with the Lord and turn to him for help. God tells Cain that, he says, sin is crouching at the door. So we see that. He says, uh, uh, if you do well, will you not be accepted? There's an opportunity for him to repent, to respond, to do what he needs to do in his heart and his life. He says, if you, and if you don't do well, he says, sin is crouching at the door. I think, as, as you know, we got cats, you know, so it's, you think of a cat or a lion, it's, it's just it's waiting. It's about to pounce. And that's what sin is doing to us. It's, it's trying to, to pounce on your life and to destroy you and to take mastery over you, to control your life, to control your actions. One thing you need to ask yourself is, what sins are crouching at the door of your heart? You know, with, with God's help, do an honest assessment of that. And, you know, there's different types of sins. Some sins seem like they're the big deal sins. Some are the more socially acceptable sins that are just in our heart that are also a very, very, very big deal and sometimes even worse. But whatever it is, uh, what temptation, you know, what type of thing is, is there ready to pounce at you that you need to be aware of, that you, with God's help, need to be resisting? Because it has a plan for you. Sin, the flesh, the devil, it has a plan for you. And are you going to be ruled by it, or with God's help, are you going to rule it, to, to master it? When it says its desire is contrary to you, uh, literally, it says its desire is towards you. And this is actually the same uh, phrase here that's used in Genesis 3.16, when it says that as part of the curse, that Eve's desire would be for her husband. And we said this doesn't mean romantic desire, that this is part of the dysfunction that comes from the fall, and that her desire uh, would be to want to wrestle control away from him, to, to master him. Sin has a desire to rule over you in your life and to master you, uh, to, to make you its puppet. Don't let it. What specific sins are crouching at your door? And remember, the fall affects your thoughts, your desires. And so everything that you feel in your heart is not necessarily something that's good because we've been affected by this. Last, just a uh, specific application from this. Be especially careful when you're angry. It is possible to be angry and to not sin. Uh, we know that from Scripture. But anger leads to a lot of sin. It is so easy for us to shift into unrighteous anger to, uh, or even if you have anger that in one sense is righteous to in the way that we respond to it for it to become unrighteous in our response. But anger, it clouds our emotions, it clouds our thoughts, our feelings, and it's so easy to respond in a way that's unhealthy, that's sinful uh, to people and to the Lord when you're angry. So I think it's especially important when you feel those frustrations, you feel those angers, uh, feelings of anger, to be especially careful that you 
are avoiding sin, that you're going to God for help in all of this. Not all anger is righteous. I think one of the key questions that's good to ask ourselves when we start to feel angry is, should I feel angry about this? And a lot of times we recognize, no, I shouldn't. I mean, a lot of people just let their emotions speak to them and they never analyze their emotions. You know, and society tells us what your heart says, you've got to follow this in your emotions. And people are just captive to their emotions. But when we feel anger, we need to ask, should I feel angry about this? In our neighborhood, I look around and I hear the noises because all of our neighbors are getting new roofs. You know, we had uh, April 4th, I believe it was, a hailstorm. You know, a lot of hail damage, a lot of houses. And so, and maybe many of you, you know, getting, uh, uh, you know, new roofs put on and insurance is basically paying for most of it. And a lot of people in our neighbor, our little neighborhood, a lot of the houses are about 20 years old. We were one of the first houses that was in it. And so a year and a half ago, uh, we put on a new roof and paid full price for this. And so there's been times where the thought has uh, crossed my mind, like, oh, yeah, all my neighbors are getting roofs uh, kind of on the cheap for insurance. I get to pay, roofs are not cheap. Um, but then I have to remind myself before my heart starts going down that path that I have not been treated wrong. Uh, we, we put on a new roof. It was a fair price. It was good. And if my neighbors are getting, uh, hi, neighbors. See the Anderson. I don't know if you guys are getting a roof. If you are, God bless you. Uh, I'm happy for you. So that's the thing, I just need to be happy for other people, you know, because I have not been treated unfairly, okay? The, the hailstorm didn't. Uh, my neighbors are not treating me unfairly. Insurance. And ultimately, when we get in these situations, we say, well, God, why did you let this happen? God is not treating me unfairly. And there's so many things in life when we, when we realize this, we have to th- stop and think, you know what? I, I have nothing really to be angry about. You know, I... I have not been treated unjustly. If other people get some good benefit, hey, praise God for them. It's a good thing. But we have to check ourselves. And so it's an example for me, but I'm sure there's examples for you. But when we're angry or we start to see that starting to take place, uh, we got to catch ourselves. Again, remember that the fall affects our, our thoughts, our desires, and our feelings. We have to be suspect of what we're feeling and what we want. Not just, oh, I have this desire. It must be right. Okay, last section here. And we see what's going to happen. Cain's at this crossroad. Maybe, maybe this time when we read it, it'll turn out right. And he'll, he'll make the good choice. But no, that's not what we're going to see. We're going to see instead Cain commits the first murder. Let's read 8 through 16. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength, You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground and from the face 
I shall be hidden, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. I don't have specific bullet points for this section, but if God, uh, through this, gives you things that are worth writing down, please do so. So we see Cain spoke to his brother Abel. Uh, there are some manuscripts that say that he said, come out to the field. It seems like that's probably what was going on, whether it's in the text or not. Like, hey, uh, uh, Cain says, Abel, you know, come on, let's go to this secluded place out in my field here, where just me and you, where there's no one around. You know, and he hadn't seen enough TV shows yet to know that this is a bad thing to, to do, what happens when you do that. And so they, uh, they go out, when they're in the field, it says, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He, he slew his brother. The first murder, the first human to experience death, uh, there would have been animals uh, that were killed. And to think, well, how did even Cain know how to do this? Well, maybe from the different animals that were killed. He was able to kind of figure it out. I don't, I don't know. Notice that anger towards God often turns into anger against other people. It's a common thing to happen. We can't actually attack and kill God. That doesn't work out real well. Sometimes we take it out on the people that are around us instead. That's a pretty common thing. Now, how did Cain, how did he kill Abel? Um, was it his, his hands? You know, he strangled him. Did he use a rock? Did he use a, a stick, a farm tool? Was it a, a knife? You know that Abel probably had when he you know did his his offerings. Um, I, I, th- I think we want to know so that if we know what it was that uh, that Cain used, we could make sure to ban that so this type of thing never happens again. Um, okay. <laughs> I want to say this, not to be political, but I, I do want to be theological about this and to realize that no matter what weapons regulations you think make sense or you think don't make sense, the problem ultimately is with evil in the human heart. That's ultimately where murder comes from. And again, our best commentary in Scripture gives us some uh, information on this. 1 John 3.12 tells us why Cain killed Abel. Read this. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Hey, that's a good takeaway, isn't it? Should love one another. That's a big deal. Cain's doing the opposite. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, of, of Satan. He was acting with Satan and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Evil hates righteousness. Evil loves other evil that makes him feel better about evil. But when evil, when sin is contrasted with, with righteousness, that enhances feelings of guilt. And people don't like that. And they will lash out against that. And that's why there's persecution. That's why a big reason why there are martyrs. That's the reason why sometimes maybe you're the most Christ-like person you can be with those that are around you. And just because of that, there are going to be people that part of their heart is going to not like you because you make them feel guilty. Even if you're being very, very nice and kind to them, which I hope you are. This is just a reality. But we, we're supposed to love 
our, um, our brothers, our brothers and sisters. Uh, that's an application. Think of that, your biological brothers and sisters. Okay, kids, my kids. Our brothers and sisters in the Christian family, and do we show it? Now, in verse 9, God speaks. He says, where is Abel your brother? Again, because God just didn't know. Obviously, he knew. And as we keep reading, we realize God knew. He was giving Cain the opportunity to confess and to repent. That's what was going on here. But instead, Cain lies to God. says, I don't know. Um, It's not good to lie to God. God doesn't get fooled. And he tries to evade responsibility. Am I my brother's keeper? No sign of remorse here. Uh, Saying, I'm not responsible for him. He's responsible for killing him. And then God issues out punishment to him and uh, talks about this in verses 10 through 13. There's a punishment. There's, there's curse that is given. The land would be even more unfruitful for him, and he would be a wanderer. He was being uh, you know, sent out and sent away. Now in verse 14, well, he complains about the punishment. The punishment is greater than I can bear. You've driven me... away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer and whoever finds me will kill me. Now some people point to that and say, well, who is this that would kill him? Because aren't there just like four people? Well, now three because one just got killed. And so who is it that's going to find him? But this is where I think we have to look at some other biblical clues as far as what is going on. And we'll see this when we get into the next uh, passages. Uh, But Adam and Eve, they had a lot more kids. They obeyed God. They were being fruitful and multiplying. And it tells us, you know, this straight out that they had a lot more kids. It's focusing here on uh, Cain and Abel, but that doesn't mean that they were the only ones. In chapter 4, verse 25, we'll look at this next week, it's going to say that God gives Eve Seth as a replacement for Abel. I don't think this means that Seth was just their, their third kid, that they had no other kids until this point. But I think that uh, Abel died, God allows Eve to become pregnant again and to have Seth, and he is a, re- a replacement, and we, we'll talk about this next time, but uh, it's an important line, lineage that comes from Seth. And it says in chapter 5, verse 3, that Seth was born when Adam was 130 years old. It's something we'll talk about too. Early on, their life spans were different than they are today. Now, if that's the case, it seems likely to me that this happened uh, 130 years after God created Adam and Eve. So this could have been, uh, you know, Cain and Abel could have been fairly old at this point. They could have been, you know, uh, you know, 100 and near 130 years old or something. Uh, so in that time. Uh, Adam and Eve would have had lots of kids. Their kids would have had kids. I started trying to track this out and realized, yeah, it would be pretty easy by this point for there to be hundreds of people upon the face of the earth. So that's, I think, what was going on here. Cain is given a mark for his protection. Verse 15, we don't know exactly what this was. Was it a tattoo? Was it a a special clothing? We we, we just don't know. But God had told him that, no, I'm going to protect you. They're not going to kill you. I'm going to keep you from vengeance. Uh, So he's given both consequences and he's given a form of grace. 
this does lead to the question, why didn't he get the death penalty? And we know from Genesis 9 that the, the, there's the death penalty for, for murderers. And this was the first murder. Well, we'll talk about that more when we get to Genesis 9, but Genesis 9 is still in the future from here. But what we can realize is that only God has the authority to end human life. He can delegate this authority, but at this point in human history, he had not delegated this to human government yet. So for whatever reasons, God had his reasons, and he had not delegated that as the appropriate punishment for murder that he would when we get to Genesis chapter 9. And maybe part of it is to say, well, let's see how this works. Uh, let's see if, how humanity responds to this grace and leniency. Maybe they'll respond well, and things will just get better in society. Uh, just, we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. He leaves, he goes to the land of Nod, which basically is used for a word that means like fugitive, wanderer. Giving in to sin leads to ruin, isolation, loss of community, loss of purpose. But last thing I want to leave you with when we talk about all this, we think of Abel. And we know he was, he was a, a sinner. Um, we know he was saved by grace because we see this in uh, the book of Hebrews, that he was righteous. Not because he was perfect in his own self, but because uh, that uh, through his faith, God saved him. But one thing we can, need to realize, too, is that Abel was a foreshadowing of the ultimate innocent one. The ultimate innocent one that would shed his blood for us. And I believe that we can know that for sure because Hebrews 12.27 says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, when we look at this story, don't just think that you're Abel here. In reality, we're Cain. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. And we sinners need the sacrifice of the righteous Son of God, his blood that was spilled to take away our sin so that we can be saved. Have you come to Jesus Christ in your personal faith to receive that sacrifice for you? I pray that you would love to talk to you if, if you need to. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all the lessons in this story. May your spirit help us to remember these and to apply them well in the weeks ahead. And Lord, when we think about this, uh, we think of sin, we recognize that we have sin in our life, uh, that we have given into sin already and we come into this world guilty of sin. And Lord, in so many ways we come into this world as Cain. And Lord, we need the one who is the better Abel. We need the one whose innocent blood was given voluntarily on our behalf the blood of Christ, which takes away the sin of the world. Lord, I pray that everyone here would respond in a heart of faith to Jesus Christ, turning away from their rebellion, turning to Jesus, and embracing him as the one that already paid the price to take away their sin with his blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.